Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series entitled, Abraham, the Father of Our Faith. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit the website, cbcsavannah.com. faithful when we are not, and I certainly have not been, yet you have called me to proclaim truth and to encourage your people and to feed your sheep, and so I ask for strength and grace now to do that in a way that that brings glory and honor to you. Um, I I just need you so deeply, Lord, to move in a way that just honors you, and so help me this morning to unpack this passage in a clear and precise yet uh, encouraging way to your people. May it be a refreshing time for us. May it just be a a, a place where we can just enjoy you and enjoy your word. Uh, And that's only something that you do by your spirit. And so please fall fresh on me and on your people right now. And just where every single person in this room needs, Lord, whatever that is, that you would meet that need right now through your scripture, through through your truth. Uh, as it just kind of moves into our souls. It's in your name I pray, amen. All right, you can have a seat and turn, if you have your Bible, to Genesis 21. All right, Genesis 21. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. For those who didn't have to memorize those books of the Bible back when we used to have to memorize them, you know, now you just open your phone and you're like, oh, there it is, type in Lamentations. Right, We used to have to know where that book was. But anyway, Genesis is easy. Very beginning of the Bible. And we started four months ago studying the life of a guy named Abraham. He's one of the more important figures in Scripture. He is a uh, very common man in the Scripture. Very famous. And what we saw is even though this is a dude that lived 4,000 years ago, that we are connected to his story. That he is the father of faith. And so even though we're living 4,000 years after this guy, that his story is our story, that his journey in many ways mimics ours. There's ups and there's downs and, and the struggles that he has, we have. And so we've been looking at this guy. And when we first saw him come on the scene in chapter 12, he was a 75-year-old dude, a lot of life behind him. Don't know really any much about his growing up, but we know that he was a moon worshiping God, the God of Ur the Chaldees was the moon deity. So he was moon worshiping and he was uh, just living life. And then God shows up out of the blue and makes three promises to him. I'm gonna make you a great name. I'm gonna make you a great nation. And I'm gonna make you a great blessing. And you, all the nations of the world be blessed. Not very likely of this happening at this point in his life. He's 75. He's got no kids. He's got no heirs, even though his name means exalted father. He doesn't have any kids, right? It's an ironic name. It's like a seven foot guy named Tiny. It doesn't fit. But that's the way he is. But yet he believes God. He trusts God and he leaves and goes to a land where he's never been, never seen, never heard. But he trusts, right? And, and really what we've seen the last four months then now is he's been wandering for 25 years, just moving every couple of weeks. He's a wanderer, he's a sojourner, just walking around this promised land. And we've seen snapshots of his life and there's some good stuff and there's some bad stuff. And, but constantly what keeps coming up is this promise of a boy. You're gonna have a boy. You're gonna have a boy, you're gonna have a boy. So much so that it's like, we've been talking about it for four months and I'm like, is he ever gonna have the boy? 
Is this ever going to happen? Right? Well, I'm happy to announce that today, pop out your cigars and your onesies. He has a boy. He has a boy. And the, the trouble I have a little bit is the text is actually almost anticlimactic. I mean, he'd been waiting for four months. He'd been waiting for 99 years. And you read it and it's just like very matter of fact, he has a boy. And then the next thing you see, the kid's 20 years old. And you're like, wait a minute. You've been dragging us around Moses for nine chapters. And that's all we get. No detail. I want to know how many, how many ounces, how many pounds. Did she get the epidural? Did she not? <laughs> right? I mean, give me some details. How long? 20 inches, 21? You know, what, tell me something. It's just very straightforward. And I, and I think the reason is I kind of stand back and look at the text is this is, even though there's a baby in this story, this is not a story about a baby. Even though we called this series Abraham, it's, it's really not about Abraham. We actually, that's why we started and we didn't start in Genesis 12. We started way back in the beginning in a garden where there's a guy and a girl and they rebel against God and God says, this is gonna happen now, you guys are gonna die and there's all these things, repercussions of your sin. But one day, the seed of a woman, there's gonna be one that comes from a woman and he will crush the head of the serpent. There will be a redeemer. There will be a savior who will fix this mess that you guys have started. And we started there because Abraham is just the next step in, in that big program of God where he's just one small piece, the first identifier of the one who would come from Abraham, of the one who would come from Isaac, of the one who would come from Jacob, of the one who would come from Judah, of the one who would come from David, of the one who would come from Mary. What happens thousands of years later. This is just one piece. And that's our lives. You got your 80, 90, maybe 100 years, right? Maybe 70, whatever it is. And you are just one piece, one small piece in the big story of what God is doing. And so what we're, last couple of weeks, let's be honest, been some hard weeks, a little in your face, a little challenging, some things we've looked at. Today, it, I don't wanna talk about you at all. I, I wanna kind of flip it and, and just look at how we can learn about a big God from a story about a little baby. And so I want really this to be a refreshing time for some of us because some of y'all are in the middle of it. I'm telling you, and I know, because we, we, we meet and you talk and we're praying and all these things. And I know that there is challenges that if some of you knew right now, the person, what they're struggling with right next to you, you'd be like, oh my gracious, and that's going on all over. And so I want today just to be a little bit of a, a cool drink on a hot day for us as we look at a great and faithful and big God. So we're gonna look just at seven verses um, and let me read them and we'll come back and just unpack a couple truths about our big God. Verse one, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham, Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, 
God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Kind of key verses in this passage are verses one and two. It says, the Lord visited Sarah. And, I, and I, you know, that sounds very Southern. Like, come on over and have some lemonade and sweet tea. We'll go for a walk and look at some Spanish moss, right? Visit, visit for a little bit, right? That's not the idea of visit, okay? This word in the Old Testament, theologically very significant. It's where God actually takes notice of someone and he actually moves in such a way as to alter their destiny. Sometimes for good, sometimes for not so good. But in this case, God is taking notice in a special way of this woman, Sarah. And he is going to act on her behalf. And so after nine chapters of all sorts of crazy moving around and going into the harem part one and going into the harem part two and all these things and waiting and weeks have turned to months and months have turned to years and years have turned to 25 years when it seems way beyond impossible, the Lord, and twice it emphasizes it, two times to emphasize it, make it emphatic. The Lord visited. The Lord did. This 90-year-old woman, who apparently is still a hottie, has a kid, right? Has a child. And it's just as God had said. Three, three words I want you to underline in your Bible. If you got your Bible, I hope you do. Underline it if you have your little kind of whatever, iPad, I something, I whatever, highlight it with your little stylus or whatever you call it or your finger. But I want you to see three words and these two verses that are, that are significant, right? Here they are. Said, promised, and spoken. Circle them, highlight them, because Moses is highlighting a truth. He uses three words to highlight this truth that God did exactly, precisely, with perfection, what he said. God absolutely, positively fulfilled what he promised. That what he spoke, he brought to pass. Just like it, just like it, exactly. And here, here's the principle for us, the first principle for us today. It's very simple, but it's, it's actually not. And it's this, that God always does what he says. Now, let me, let me just clarify with this. Sometimes that does not seem true. Okay? When you are suffering and when you are struggling and when your kids are off and you don't know what's going on and, and your marriage is in a place like this or you grow up in a home where your father was abusive or you you're lost your job. I mean, we have the plethora. You can run the gamut in this body right here. Whatever it is, when you are in the middle of junk, this does not feel true, okay? So I'm owning that right up front. But the point is this, just because this doesn't feel true doesn't mean it's not. I can tell you, when Abraham is in year 19 of 25, it doesn't feel true. When Sarah is sitting in the harem again, it doesn't feel true. And so I own that. But that doesn't make it untrue. God always keeps his word. And what's profound about that is 
it, it, it just highlights the fact how different God and us are. Because let's be honest, we don't. Right? I mean, God never doesn't keep his word. We often don't. Whether it's little, I'll call you back. All right, Bubba, it's been three months. Where are you at? Or maybe it's big. Maybe it's you're unfaithful in your marriage or you, you've, you've cheated this or what, whatever it is. Whether we intend to, whether we forget to, we don't keep our word. This, this past week, my son said, Dad, will you come lay with me upstairs? I said, I'll be right up. Then I get a phone call from my brother. 20 minutes later, I hear, hey, Dad, are you gonna come? I'm like, didn't keep my word. I'm on the phone. Last week, my youngest said, Dad, will you sleep in the same room with me? You got two single beds in there. I'm like, yeah, okay. I hate sleeping in that single bed. It's so uncomfortable and I may be short, but it's even too short for me. And it's just miserable. And so I did, I did the unthinkable. He's in bed and I go in the room and I look and I just look at that bed. I'm like, I don't wanna sleep in that bed. I know it's a bad night's sleep. But what did I do? I got a bunch of stuffed animals and I put them under the covers and I made it look like I'm in the bed. I know, it's so awful. Awful father. But I got a great night's sleep. <laughs> we don't keep our word. We can't even count how many times we don't keep our word. Yet God can because he's never not. Even when it feels like he's not. Even when he feels like it's not. So committed is, is he to his word that he, he roots his faithfulness in his godness. And so in, in, in chapter 15, when he makes a covenant, and we looked at that, a covenant, they would cut, they would kill an animal and they'd cut it in half and they'd walk in between it. And the idea was, if I don't keep my end of this promise, then may I be like one of these animals. But, but we, what we saw is Abraham and God don't both walk through these animals. It's just God, Abraham's watching because God roots this in his faithfulness. He said, if I don't do what I say I'm gonna do, I'll cease to be God. Because he, he's absolutely trustworthy. He's absolutely faithful, right? That's why it's not about a story about a little baby. It's a story about a big God. And, and this is one of those truths. Again, it doesn't always feel, feel true, but we have to grasp it because God never fails. His word is always true. And, and there's nothing else in the world that is more faithful. It's not. There's nothing else in the, more, in the world that's more trustworthy. You say, oh, I got this great car. It's never failed me. Great. It eventually will die. I got this accountant. He's awesome. He's never, he eventually will retire. Everything will fail. This, the chair you're sitting in, I was thinking about this this week. You know, these chairs that you're sitting in, we got the top of the line chairs for this building. They are guaranteed reliable for one million sit-downs. It's pretty good. In fact, I did a little math because I'm a nerd. You would have to come in this room to wear your chair out, right? And maybe somebody wants to do this. Go ahead. You have at it. You're a loser if you do, but that's another story. You would have to come into this room every day and sit down a hundred times, up, down, up, down, up, three, for 28 years to wear out your chair. That's pretty good. That's pretty reliable. Someday, I'll be long gone, y'all be long gone. Some cat's gonna come in here and that chair is gonna be on one million and one and he ain't gonna know it. <laughs> he's gonna sit down and boom, he's gonna hit the floor. Because even these chairs, top of the line, have an expiration date. 
And, and, but the funny thing is, when you guys came in today, when we sat down, I, I didn't see any of y'all like wondering, like, man, this chair, I ate a lot last night. I don't know. You weren't worried. Uh, you know, you didn't slow. You just plopped on into that thing. Yet it's not ultimately reliable. Yet sometimes when it comes to God, maybe it's because the circumstances, we say, I don't know. Is it, is it true? And we kind of hesitate in sitting. We has, I, yet God is infinitely more reliable than that chair. He cannot, it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for him to deny himself. He is faithful. Here's the greatest thing. He is faithful even when we're not. You may have been the most unfaithful person this week. Maybe you had a wretched week. Maybe you, you didn't think of God one time that doesn't influence his faithfulness one iota. Think about where Abraham and Sarah just came from. They just, they just denied him again. Yet God is so committed to them and he so loves them. Even when Abraham has God sitting there having a picnic. And he says, oh, you're going to have a baby in a year. And he, he forgets the picnic in like two days. Yet it doesn't hinder God's faithfulness. And what some of you need to know is your circumstances, just because you don't feel like this is true, just because you feel unloved, just because you feel like he is a bazillion miles away on the authority of scripture, that is not true. Because it cannot be. Right? And so our desire is, to, I know that this is big pie in the sky, kind of big theological, but I just want to get it down to where we're at, that God keeps his word and I don't want it to just be something that we say when things are good or it's just something like yeah I believe God is good you know Satan believes God is good Satan believes God keeps his word Satan knows that God is faithful it does him no good he knows all those things he's seen all those things it doesn't comfort him I want us to delight in the faithfulness of God even though it's hard and I get it. And here's what happens when we do. When we, do you know what? When you trust God, that he delights in that. Yes, he delights in us when we fail. And I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm not, God is not standing up there with this lightning bolt ready to say, oh, he didn't trust me. Oh, you're lucky, boy. That's, that's not God. But there is a sense in which when we trust in the goodness and faithfulness of God, he delights in that. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, which implies with faith, we do please. Just like when, when my son, when my kids were little and they wanted to jump in the pool and they're nervous and like, no, I don't know if I can do it, dad. I'm like, you can do it, I'm gonna catch you. And how many of you guys at one time were like, oh, and nobody did that. Well, maybe you did and you're an awful father. <laughs> but you said, I promise I'm gonna catch you. And then when you, they jump in and you embrace them and they, they love, they hug you and you would hug them and it brings you just delight. Now, if they didn't jump in, do you still delight in them? Yeah, you do. But there's just something about that. When you, when you rest in the chair, there's something about, about that that just brings pleasure to your father who loves you no matter what, but he brings pleasure to him. And so you, you're, you're, you're trusting God with your kids and you don't know where they're at and you're just praying begging him to move and say, Lord, these are yours. You, they're gifts from God. They're not mine. They were never mine anyway. They're yours. And I just trust you with them. Man, Lord, act. When you, when you have zero in the bank account and you're, and you're living paycheck to paycheck, but yet you, you give off the top. 
You may think it's just two widows mites, but God says, I delight in that because you trust me because I can see that you're, you're trusting in my provision. When, you, when you're running your company on the level and everyone else is not and, and, and you're getting behind because they're cheating, but you're, you just still stay the course and you're trusting that God will take care of you. It just, it just brings to light. When you're praying big prayers and asking God for big things because you believe he, has, he is almighty and all powerful and, and he's gonna, he could even heal that stage four whatever. Or he could bring that person that's so far gone back. It just, there's, there's something that God says, they see that I'm powerful. They believe that I'm mighty. And, and there's something there. So there's a delight factor, but there's also a comfort. And this is, where, this is where I want this to just, so want this to hit home for some of you guys. Because when you are in the pit, and, and some of you are, what else do we have? I sat with a lady in our church just Friday. She lost her husband of 60 years last week. I mean, I'm not... Even, I'm just turned 42, 60, I can't even fathom 60 yet. She's been married for 60 years, not, she's been alive for 80 something. And I, and I, she's just hoping and putting all her eggs in the basket that, that Jesus really did die, that Jesus really did rise again, because that way I know that I will one day see my husband again. I mean, when she's in that place, a place that I can't fathom, the only thing she's got is the truth of God, isn't it? Isn't that the only thing? That this is not the end? That there's an eternity? I, that, that, when you are, are, some of you struggling with that same besetting sin and you feel the guilt and the shame or you had an abortion 25 years ago or you're, you, you feel like you've blown it with your kids and you just feel all that guilt and you don't feel like there's enough grace for you. That you don't feel like this is real. The promises of God say, there's no condemnation for you. The promises of God said, who brings a charge against my elect? It's as if Jesus is saying, this is mine. You can talk about my, you're not talking about mine. No, 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 no. No one charges my, my elect. No one gets to them. That's how God feels about us. That when, when we confess our sins, even the same sin that we've done over and over and over. And there's the guilt and shame there that he is what? He's faithful. We sang it. This is where the promises of God have teeth. When you are spiritually dry, and some of you are, you don't feel like singing, right? You don't feel like reading. You don't feel like praying. You feel like God's a bazillion miles away. And in that moment, you need to know that you may feel like you've moved, but you may be running from God full steam and I can tell you he is right on your heels. How do I know? Because when the one sheep goes off, he leaves 99 and he chases after the one. And all you gotta do is turn around and you're gonna run into the arms of the shepherd. Right? He's, I was reading this morning just in Zephaniah how even... You know, that's not a book that everyone usually reads. You don't even know this in the Bible. I get it. But Zephaniah 3, and it's a very depressing book because it's about how Judah is going to be destroyed in the day of the Lord. But in the end, it talks about how God, and I love this verse, is going to sing over his people. That God will sing on you. You may not feel like singing. And usually if you don't, you go to the balcony because that's the way this church rolls. <laughs> just, just kidding. Not really. But 
See, now I'm challenging you, balcony people. During the second set, you guys got to rock it, right? Throw paper down on these people down below you, whatever. Make sure they know you're alive. But Jesus himself will sing over his people. Do you believe it? He says it. What's there to sing about my life? He, he loves you. It, 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 it's just, this is where we go. This is where we gotta go. When you feel unloved, when you feel ugly, because the world tells you so, your knees are to this, your ears are to this, your head is to this, all these stupid things. When your husband is, hasn't hugged you in months, when your parents are ignoring you, to know that you are loved with a, an everlasting love, but I don't feel that way. I know. Trust me. But he says it. It's got to be true. He's got to be true. It's, his faithfulness is rooted in his goodness to you. Right? That, that's, that's what I want us to get. That he keeps his word. It's the first time I've been in church in six years. God doesn't care about, God doesn't love me. He's the one that brought you. And if you want proof about how God keeps his word, think about this, y'all. I mean, just think about this. Why are you even here? A Gentile living 4,000 years after this guy named Abraham, you are here worshiping a Jewish carpenter who died on a, a Roman cross and rose again. Why are you even, how is that even possible? The only reason it's possible is because of what God promised to Abraham, that in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That means that's you, okay? The reason you are even here is because God fulfills his word. And when you're 23 years into a 25-year wait, you don't see it and I hear you. I promise I don't hear you. But it took 4,000 years from that promise in Genesis 3 to Calvary. 4,000. But God was faithful. And it might take another four for him to return and for you to get that new body. It may take another four for him to kind of settle this deal. But I promise you this, he will do it because he's never once failed, right? And so I would encourage you, God is faithful. And I know doubt creeps in sometimes and it's okay, God. You know, here's, a, here's something, some of you need to get. God is bigger than your doubt. Do you realize that? He ain't worried about it. You need to hear that. I know, I know that you're some, some of you are crying out like the psalmist and, who says, I'm dry as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, but I can't find you. Where are you, God? Your doubt is not too big for God, I promise. He just wants you to know this morning that he is faithful, even when it doesn't feel like it. First thing. Second thing is I want you to get is this. It's fine in verse six and seven. Let me read it and then I'll come back to it. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. There's this play on laughter, right? Remember Isaac means he laughs because they both laughed. But now there's this kind of positive play. And so this word Yitzhak, Isaac, as we kind of anglicize it in our English language, but it's constantly through the, through the text. Sarah said, God has made yiksak for me. Everyone who hears will yiksak for me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children yet have born him a son? And so there's this idea of laughter and it was laughter of derision because they couldn't have kids. <laughs> your, your name means father and you don't have anything but dogs. Silly, right? There's this derision that took place before but now it's a laughter of joy. God took sorrow 
And he says, now she says, God is going to, la everyone's going to be laughing. Not because they're laughing as he's 100 years old changing diapers, because it's a, look what God has done. It's a laughter of joy. God has taken barrenness and turned it into joy. And here's the second thing I want you to see this morning about your God. That God is for your joy. That sounds so Christianese, I get it. Some of you actually don't believe that because everything you've seen and everything you heard is that, is that, well, no, God is for our joy when we get to heaven, but from here, it has to stink. So earth stinks, heaven joy. That's the way it is. That is that's not true. That, it, that is not scripture. That God is right now for your joy. And I know it's radical for some of you. I, if you grew up in a church, you grew up, you know who has, you know the least joyful people is religious people, right? The, the people that think heaven's joy, earth stinks. That's the way it is, right? That's, that's religious people or people that are trying to earn God's favor, people trying to make him happy by the way I behave. Those people have no joy because you can never do enough. You never, Right? But God is for your joy. And some of you need to grasp that. I wonder if you do. Because when we come in here, and this is, do you realize, and some of you get mad at me because sometimes we laugh a little bit too hard in here, and that's fine. That's, that's by design. Because God's people should be people of joy and laughter. I mean, you, some of you get more joyful about going to a Georgia football game. And they ain't won nothing in like 50 years. I mean, they can get the SEC championship, but that's about it, y'all, okay? Hey, what's the joy there? And you Georgia Tech fans, you're even worse, but we won't even go there. <laughs> so you're all excited and joyful about that, and they lose. We come in here and celebrated a victorious king. So, so lighten up, some of you. And I'm not saying, I know when there's wrestles, but some of you every week, I mean, you could have won the lottery and you look mad. I'm wondering why you even come to this church. You look so mad at me when I'm preaching. You're like, I'm just like, I can see, I can see you. See that miserable face. But what, what you need to see is God is for your joy. And you don't believe me? Let me just, let me just give you some passages. Because I did a little cursory study this week on joy. And, and I was amazed how many times it was not joy in heaven. It was joy now. And you think, and the Apostle Paul writes probably more about this than anyone. And when we think of Paul, you don't think of joy. You think of angry guy writing letters sometimes, right? I mean, that's how I think of Paul. I'm like, I don't even know what you just said, Paul. I don't understand that. But Paul highlights that God is free joy. Let me just read a couple passages. Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He says to Philippians, we looked at this fall. I know that I will remain and continue with you all. Why? For your progress and your joy in the faith. He says to the Corinthians, we don't lord over your faith. We work with you for why? Your joy. As you stand firm. Paul says God's for your joy. You know who else says God's for your joy? Jesus. He says, I, these things I've spoken to you, he's speaking to his disciples, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I've come to have, give life and life abundant. John 13, but I am coming to you in these things I speak in the world that they may have my joys, praying to the Father. I want the world to have my joy fulfilled in themselves. The early church, 
they're filled with joy. And the Holy Spirit, disciples were filled with joy. And, and this is despite the fact that they're getting persecuted and losing everything. In fact, Paul in 1 Thessalonians says this, you became imitators of me and us and the Lord, you received the word in much affliction. Thessalonica was a hard place to be a Christian, but there was still joy. And what these show me is that joy is possible even when it stinks. Which is why Paul, I mean, James says, consider it joy when you encounter trials. That is not super comforting sometimes, is it? But here's the reality. Joy cannot be rooted in circumstances. It can't be because sometimes circumstances stink. It stinks when your husband is a jerk. It stinks when I lose my job. It stinks when I lose my spouse. It stinks when fill in the blank. But yet God says we were to have joy. How is that possible? It's only possible because joy must be rooted in something bigger. That's the only way. And it is. This is what the psalmist says. God makes known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand. The source of true joy is in God himself. And this is why trusting that God is near and trusting in his word is so vital because if you don't see God as a source of joy, if you see him as the one who did this to you and he's, he, he, he and his sovereignty allowed this, but even in this, his, his goal is your satisfaction and joy. Even in this suffering, his, his goal is for you to, to be able to find truth and rejoice in him because he is the ultimate source at his right hand. And, and, and don't think you have a savior who doesn't get it because he does. In fact, the writer to Hebrews says, we look to Jesus who was the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. No one endured what Jesus endured. No one. The cross, the rejection of the father, becoming sin when he is purely holy. And he says he was still able to, to have joy somehow in that even when he's sweating drops of blood, even when he's rejected by the Father, even when he's nailed to a cross for your sin, there's still a joy. Why? Because he's looking to what's beyond. It, it's, it's that. And what, what I would tell you when, when you are in the, the pit, here's what you need to know. You are a child of God and he is ever present and near and loves you and knows exactly where you are. And he is doing something greater than you can see in this. And you might not see it now or in 25 years, but you will one day see it. And you have a future and a hope that is beyond, you cannot fathom it. I think the reason why the scripture doesn't talk a ton about heaven, I don't know if you've studied, but there's some you know, references. We don't have a lot of details because how do you describe something that is unfathomably great? How can you put it on paper? Yeah, heaven is good. Of course it's good. But it is so, your future is so joy-filled that you can't even describe it in words. You just have to, to be there. And so Jesus, for the joy that is that, endures this. And I want to give you strength to get out of the pit. You know, Nehemiah says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It actually, when we choose to, to, to be satisfied and content in and, and Christ where we're at, that actually makes us strong, which is, which is what we need to endure, isn't it? 
I went on a run yesterday and I was, I was hurting. I was like mile two of four or five or something like that. And I was dying. I'm like, what? I'm like halfway out. I can't walk back now. I can't call my wife because I'm too proud. Um, I, and all of a sudden, you know, I got my little shuffle on me. And you know, you know how when you're running and a good song comes on, you're like, okay. I got this. That's why I got like Rocky Four, right? Survivor. I mean, yesterday I was running and this song by, from Tadashi. Most of you never heard of him. He's a, he's a Christian rapper. It's called Riot. It's a great song. And I'm jamming that. And the next song comes on and, and it's, uh, it's a shout by Tears for Fears, you 80s people. And I'm like, whoa, yeah, shout. I'm going, right? I'm, I'm running. I'm getting closer. And then, and then the last song is OC Supertones, which is a, you know, I got all weird eclectic take. And it comes on and I'm, and I'm like, man, that got me across. That made me strong. I didn't have it in myself. That's, that's joy. That's the joy of knowing I am a saint despite what I do, that I am loved despite where I've been, that, that God is there despite how I feel. I want you to know it this morning. I want you to feel it. And, and when you do, last thing real quick, you know that God is faithful, you know that he is for your joy, then, then he is worthy of your loyalty. And I know it's hard. You see folks that are mad and they wanna walk away. But if God is true and he is good and he is for your joy, then he's worthy of loyalty. And, and I love, we just kind of breeze through it. But verse three, it says, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, Isaac. Why? Because God told him to. And then verse four, and he circumcised him when he was eight days old. Why? Because God told him to. If he is good and he is true and he is, then he, and he is faithful and he is for your joy, then he's worthy of your worship and your obedience. And he's gonna tell him to do, and we're not gonna look at it this week or next, but the next portion, he's gonna tell, what happens is Ishmael now is 17-ish years old and, and Isaac is like three and they have like this weird party for him. It's a weaning party and that's really weird but, uh, culturally, but that's what they did back then. And so everyone's celebrating that Isaac's three or four and he's now weaned and, and Ishmael is making fun of him, the older stepbrother, right? And Sarah says, get that boy out of here. And God tells Abraham, listen to your wife, he needs to go. And that, 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 oh, it's hard for Abraham because he loves this boy. But Galatians kind of chimes in, Paul and Galatians, he said, hey, that was the child of the flesh. This is the child of faith. You need to stop hedging your bets with Ishmael because he's thinking, well, if it don't work out with Isaac, I still got Ishmael. And God says, no, no, you need to put that which is from the flesh away and you need to go with faith. And then he's going to next week ask him, and you're gonna see this next week, to take this precious promised kid, which they waited 100 years for, and he's gonna say, I want you to go kill him now. It's hard. But if he's good and he's for your joy, then whatever he says, is you can, you can, you can trust him. And I know everything you hear, especially you young folks, you're gonna hear, why would you want to follow Jesus? Why would you want to, he does not want your best. He is not, he's going to ruin your life. He's going to, you're going to have no fun. I promise you this. You put two lives next to each other. Two folks that live to 85 years old, both on their deathbed, same hospital. One who has gotten everything he wanted in life, did what he wanted, pursued everything he wanted, all that stuff. The other one who followed Jesus, who wins? It may seem like this guy did, but this guy's the one who wins because he goes to eternity of joy. Christ is worthy of our worship and he is worthy of our following him. And I just encourage you today. And, and, and please, I know that this, it's easy for me to get up here and say this stuff when some of you are so, so having a hard time. And I, I get it. 
And I, and I don't want to come across callous. And, if, and so if any way I have when I'm talking about these things, please forgive me. My goal is not to just be, make trite of your situation. My goal is to, is to get you to see, even in this, that God is faithful. And the perfect example of that is this. God sends his son and kills him so that you could have eternal life. I mean, he knows suffering and he knows pain and he knows anxiety and he knows hurt and he knows disappointment. His best friend denies him. This guy who he gave everything to sells him out for 30 pieces of silver. He knows. And he says, draw near to me. I promise I'll draw near to you. So I just want us to draw near this morning to see that he is faithful, to see that he is for our joy, to see that he is worthy of your following. Let's stand and let's worship him. And balcony, y'all gotta bring it. <laughs> Lord Jesus, you're good to us. You are faithful to us. Please um, just meet us where we're at right now. Those who are hurting, those who are struggling, let them feel your arms around them. Those who have had a little bit of doubt, let them feel that, that you are present, that you are a, a very near help to the brokenhearted. As, as we sang earlier, great is your faithfulness, that there's new mercy every morning. Please, Lord Jesus, do this in us as we worship you, as we sing, as we respond. It's in Christ's name I pray. Thank you.